Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. We're joined today by our care minister, Ron Schrock, as we continue our series, Staying True. Now, if you have your copy of God's Word, please open up to Daniel chapter 6, as we hear an inspiring message today from our care minister, Ron Schrock. There we go. All right. First of all, let me just say it's really a privilege for me to be here with you this morning. Uh, it's always fun to dig into God's Word together. And uh, I think over the next several weeks or so, we're going to be talking about some of the favorite stories in the Bible. And uh, I uh, ended up with Daniel chapter 6. Um, and uh, I, I understand that, uh, you know, last week, I believe uh, Justin Hillhouse uh, talked to you about D Daniel chapter 5. Is that right? Anybody here last week? <laughs> I know that was a long... That was, that, was, that was a long time ago, right? So last week, and what you studied or learned is that, um, you know, the Medes and the Persians had overtaken Babylon and were now the rulers of the kingdom. And uh, if you remember, uh, King Belshazzar was killed during that overtaking of uh, that overthrow of the, uh, of the uh, government. And so... Um, a new king had been put into place, and he went by the name where he was, his name was King Darius, and he was now in charge. And Daniel, the main character of our story here, had survived the coup d'etat. So he was alive and well, and we're going to see that not only did he survive it, he maintained his position of leadership uh, in the country. And, and now with the new regime in place, we're going to see that Daniel was a, a, a key uh, part of that. Now, Daniel in the lion's den, that's probably a really familiar story to most of you, especially if you grew up in church. When I was a kid, this was one of my favorite Bible stories. We would even act out the story sometimes uh, with the other kids just to, to, to try to illustrate that. Uh, and so um, let's take a look at, we're going to be going through obviously most of the chapter of uh, chapter six, so you can turn to that. I'll have it on the screen as well. Um, and we're going to start just with kind of looking about how did Daniel end up in the lion's den. So we all know what happens when he's thrown in the lion's den, and we're going to get into all that. But oftentimes we kind of miss what led up to those events. So let's begin. Uh, we'll read uh, verses 1 through 3. It says, Darius thought it would be a good idea to choose 120 governors who would rule his kingdom. He chose three men as supervisors over those governors, and Daniel was one of the supervisors. The supervisors were to ensure that the governor did not try to cheat the king, or that the governors did not try to cheat the king. Daniel showed that he could do the work better than the other supervisors and governors, so the king planned to put Daniel in charge of the whole kingdom. So Daniel is a direct report to King Darius, right? And then there are all these other governors underneath them that are over and monitoring and managing the rest of the kingdom. And it's interesting, right, that these three supervisors were there primarily to make sure that they didn't cheat the king. <laughs> checkers, checking checkers, right? I mean, it's kind of interesting, right? And so um, it says that Daniel shined above all the others. And so I believe that's because he obviously was a man of faith, was a man of uh, intense, deep character. I think he had a great attitude in his work. 
And doing all of those things in the right way simply made him the object of an attack. This is not unusual, right? Maybe you've experienced that in your own work. You do well, you try to do things the right way, and others become jealous as you get considered for promotions that they wanted. And that's kind of what was taking place here. So the plot against Daniel is conceived and then it's initiated. So let's go on to verse 4. Verse 4 says, Because of this, the supervisors and governors tried to find reasons to accuse Daniel about his work in the government. But they could not find anything wrong with him or any reason to accuse him because he was trustworthy and not lazy or dishonest. Finally, these men said, We will never find any reason to accuse Daniel unless it is about the law of his God. So a couple of little things that we learned about Daniel's reputation. He was faithful. I mean, if you wanted to define faith, you just read throughout the, the book of Daniel and look at the character that Daniel exhibits. He was such a faithful man that, you know, those who looked for a flaw in his actions or in his character simply came up empty. They couldn't find anything. He was full of integrity over an extended period of time. You know, sometimes we can have some great integrity for brief periods, and then we mess that up, right? But not Daniel. He had been in leadership for more than 50 years, and he was faithful. He had integrity over that long, long extended period of time. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but politics were alive and well all the way back to the time of Daniel. Doesn't this remind you of what happens when a candidate or nominee for office comes under this kind of scrutiny, right? Someone gets nominated, and what happens? They start digging for dirt, right? Looking for things that are wrong. Can, can you imagine, though, looking as hard as you could, or as hard as you can at a, at a political, uh, at, a, at a public servant, who's been in office for some 50 years and not finding anything wrong. Can't imagine that, absolutely. No fraudulent expense accounts, no intern scandals, no questionable business dealings, no gifts from lobbyists, no accusations from his staff, no illicit extramarital affairs, nothing. Now, I'm not implying that Daniel was sinless, but he was a man of great integrity, and I think we could also say that Daniel was especially blameless in the way that he conducted himself in his professional life. So we're not saying he never sinned, right? Well, let's not put him on that pedestal. But he certainly was a man of his, of his word. And Daniel's jealous peers could not find any skeletons in Daniel's closet because there weren't any there. His enemies looked at his life and they found nothing to attack. So they had to take another route. Maybe make something up or find another way to trap him. Now these men knew Daniel really well. And they knew that he could not be trapped into evil. But they also knew that he would remain faithful to God in all circumstances. That's a really key point. 
Daniel, that's just part of his character. It's part of who he was, that he would be faithful and to God no matter what the circumstance. Would others say that same thing about us? What happens when things go wrong? How do we respond to difficulties? Are we still faithful to God? Are we always faithful no matter what happens? Well, let's go on. Verses uh, 6 and 7. So the supervisors and governors went as a group to the king, and they presented this to him. King Darius, live forever. The supervisors, assistant governors, governors, the people who advise you, and the captains of the soldiers have all agreed that you should make a new law for everyone to obey. For the next 30 days, no one should pray to any god or human except to you, O king. Anyone who doesn't obey will be thrown into the lion's den. Now, if the enemies of Daniel knew him well, they also knew King Darius very well. And I believe they knew that they could appeal to his pride and his desire to have a unified kingdom since he was the new king in place. And so they suggested passing this new law that required all the people from the Babylonian era to acknowledge his authority of Persia. And the time limit for this law was set at 30 days, I assume because they thought that was reasonable. Now, why would they do this? Well, most likely they wanted to appeal to the king's pride and to his new ambitions as being king. And they actually, what they're doing here is setting him up or proposing to make him a god for the next 30 days. The whole empire was required to pray to King Darius and to pay him divine honor. Now this was the bait, but their real object here was to destroy Daniel. And of course, they lied when they said that all the governors had consulted together, because we know that it was a lie because Daniel was one of the governors, <laughs> and he certainly was not consulted. And yet, that is what was portrayed to the king. Let's go on to verse 8. <clears throat> now, O king, make the law and sign your name to it, that it cannot be changed, because then it will be a law of the Medes and Persians and cannot be canceled. So King Darius signed the law. Now, it was an established principle of the Medo-Persian Empire that when a king formally signed and instituted a decree, it was so binding that not even the king himself could change it. Interesting, right? Why would they do that? Well, because the thought was that the king spoke for the gods, and the gods could never be wrong, so why would you ever need to change your mind, right? So once it's signed, it's a done deal. There's no repealing it, no changing your mind. So the king signs the law, and the trap has been set. Let me just pause for a minute. What if our government passed a law that said you cannot pray to anyone except President Biden for the next 30 days? 
Let's make it real, right? And if you choose to pray, you'll be thrown into a den full of hungry lions. How many of us would continue to pray? Pray in public. Yeah, I hope that we would, right? And we're going to see that obviously what, what, that Daniel didn't deviate at all. They didn't postpone. He didn't postpone his prayer life for 30 days. You know, if that were to happen here, would we cancel our prayer meeting for 30 days and then just come back on the next month? No, we wouldn't do that. I hope, I hope, I hope to God we would, not, we would not do that. So verse 10. Even though Daniel knew that the new law had been written, he went to pray in an upstairs room in his house, which had windows that opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, Daniel would kneel down and pray and thank God, just as he always had done. Then those men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and talked to him about the law he had made. They said, didn't you sign a law? that says no one may pray to God or any human except to you, O, o King. Doesn't it say that anyone who disobeys during the next 30 days will be thrown into the lion's den? Can you imagine how the king was feeling about this time? Yeah, that's what I said. The king answered, yes, that's the law, and it's the law of the Medes and Persians, and we all know that that cannot be canceled. So Daniel, oh, did I didn't finish all that, sorry. So they went to, yeah, I'm sorry, that's the, that's the verse we just read. Sorry, I didn't advance the slide. So this was a test of loyalty for Daniel himself because he was loyal to the king, right? His track record showed that he always honored, was very respectful of, of the king. But Daniel also served the king of kings, the Lord of Lords, and he deserved a much higher loyalty than King Darius. And so there's a choice to be made here. You know, who wins? Who going, is going to win out? And certainly in Daniel's mind, it was God himself. And as we all know, obviously it's like, well, if you're going to, you know, this law was passed. You know, you had no input to it, but it's in place. And you know that if you continued to pray, as you always have with your normal routine, that someone is probably going to be watching and turn you in. And that seems like, well, that certainly was a risky, <laughs> risky thing to take. But I believe that Daniel knew that the safest thing he could do was to actually obey God. Because God was bigger than any other person that he was dealing with. See, a lot of us suffer from what I like to call the disease to please. Sometimes we call that people pleasing. I've struggled with that for a considerable amount of time in my own life and worked very hard on it. And it's easy to see why that happens, right? Because oftentimes we look at other people and we see, or at least it seems like they have the ability or the power to, to hire and fire us. They can break our hearts. They can slander us, and they can make our lives generally miserable. And so we fear them. But the power to obey God and to stand for him comes from an unsettled understanding that God is really in control. If God's in control, 
all those little things aren't going to matter because my faith, my belief, is going to be in God himself. And Daniel certainly didn't let the decree change his actions one way or another. You know, the scripture doesn't say he did more praying or that he did less praying. He just did the same thing that he did from week to week, month to month, year to year. You know, it could have been a compromise for him to pray less, but it could also have been prideful if he would have said, I'm gonna pray more. <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not gonna pray three times a day, I'm gonna do six times a day. No, he didn't do that, he just stayed faithful. And so in verse 11, it said they found Daniel, just as they knew they would, deep in prayer, praying, obviously, for both his own communion with God, but also that God's will would be accomplished here on earth. All right, verse 13. Then they said to the king, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is not paying attention to you, O king, or to the law you signed. Daniel still prays to his God three times every day. Here's yet another lie that they told. Daniel intended no disrespect to the king, but he only had a higher respect for God. And so that phrase, he is not paying attention to you, that's not true. Daniel was always very respectful, as I said earlier, of the king. What he did violate was obviously the law that they had passed in saying that he couldn't pray to anyone other than King Darius. So, verse 14, the king became very upset when he heard this. He wanted to save Daniel, and he worked hard until sunset trying to think of a way to save him. Then these men, then those men went as a group to the king, and they said, Remember, O king, the law of the Medes and Persians says that no law or command given by the king can be changed. Let's talk about King Darius here for a minute. It says that he was upset with himself. And I think there's a lot to like about King Darius, even though he was a pagan. I like this man because I think that he did try to do things the right way. And at this point, he sees the trap. He sees what's happened, but there's nothing that he can do to change that. The New, the new King James Version says he was displeased with himself. Now, instead of blaming others, he knew that he was at fault. We can be sure that he wasn't happy with Daniel's enemies either, but he knew that ultimately he was the one responsible. I know what that feels like. How about you? You know, I get tricked, or maybe I just make a dumb decision that has serious consequences. And like Darius, those kinds of foolish decisions often haunt us. You know, it makes me wonder, there was no forethought, right? He didn't think ahead like, why would we wanna put this law into place other than to bring glory and honor to me? And he just ate up the flattery of it, not thinking, what's the motivation behind this law? Why would they wanna pass this? Often, all we can do is to pray and ask God to mercifully and miraculously intervene when we make 
stupid choices like that. And so it says that Darius worked as long as he could. I mean, past quitting time, trying to figure out if there was any way that he could circumvent what was about to happen. And he couldn't. And so according to ancient Eastern custom, the execution was carried out on the day that the accusation was made and proven to be valid. All right, so let's go on. So verse 16. So King Darius, King Darius gave the order, and Daniel was brought in and thrown into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel on his way in, May the God you serve all the time save you. A big stone was brought and placed over the opening of the lion's den. And then the king used his signet ring and the rings of his royal officers to put special seals on the rock. This secured it so that no one could move the rock and bring Daniel out. So a couple of observations here for you. I think that Darius had some faith exhibited by what he said. And it was a, the faith that he had was born out of Daniel's trust in, in God himself. I mean, what he's basically saying here to Daniel is, I tried my best to save you, Daniel, but I failed. Now it's up to your God. You see, the phrase said, the God you serve, when? All the time. The God you serve all the time. This is Daniel's testimony, right? I mean, let's face it. We all get it right occasionally. Sometimes we display godly characters, char characteristics. Maybe even some wisdom in front of the world, but then we counteract that good by doing something bad, right? That was not Daniel's story. I love the fact that the king recognized that in that phrase of saying the God you serve all the time. Daniel's testimony was made by continual service. And because of his faith, Daniel is actually recognized in Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith chapter, right? Hebrews 11.33 identifies him as one who by faith stopped the mouths of lions. That's incredible, right? We know God is the one who did that, but it was through Daniel's faith that God acted. Now, realize at this point, Daniel is 90 years old. 90. I wouldn't think that was a really tasty morsel to those lions, right? <laughs> He's a little scrawny by then, I would think. Who knows, right? But he suddenly finds himself in this den full of ferocious, hungry lions, and the scripture doesn't say how many there were, but I get the feeling there was a lot. There were a lot of lions in there and ready to have dinner. And so there's this extraordinary scene that's unfolding there in Babylon. I mean, a man of God doing the right thing gets thrown into the den of lions. Yeah. Bad things can happen to God's people. You all know that. And the king, who is the most powerful man in the country, cannot do anything to help Daniel because of a law that was signed that couldn't be revoked. And his enemies and the enemies of Daniel, picture them, 
What are they doing? Sitting back, smirking, saying, all right, it's working. We're just about rid of this guy. And they thought they had the upper hand. But then God shows up at the right place, at the right time to change the course of the events that were about to happen. Everyone knew that he was a, he was a goner. He was dead. It made me think, when, when his enemies, these peers who were jealous of him and did not like him, concocted this plan, it shows you how much of an unbeliever they really were because they never considered that this could happen, right? He's dead. All we got to do is get him thrown in there and it's over. They never, the thought never entered their mind that God would intervene, that Daniel's God, who he prayed to, even above and beyond the law that was passed, would somehow spare his life. You know, my God is a right on time God. Your God is too, right? He is right on time. I don't know who said this, but I read it one time, and it just said this, God is rarely early, but he's never late. Right? Too often we want him to be act sooner, act quicker, but you know what? He's never late. He is always on time. What a mighty God we serve. So let's finish this chapter, pretty much of it, and then I want to give you three quick observations about the power that I see that our God exhibits. All right, verse uh, 18, I believe it is, yes. Then King Darius went back to his palace. He did not sleep that night. He did not have any entertainment brought to him, and he could not sleep. The next morning, King Darius got up at dawn and hurried to the lion's den, and as he came near the den, he was very worried. He called out to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God that you always worship been able to save you from the lions? And then he listened. Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel to close the lions' mouths, and they have not hurt me because my God knows I'm innocent. I never did anything to wrong you, O king. King Darius was very happy. Can you imagine the relief that he's feeling at this point in time? He was very happy and he told his servants to let Daniel out of the lion's den. And so they lifted him out and did not find any injury on him. Another translation says there was not even a scratch found on him. Because Daniel had trusted in his God. Then the king commanded that the men who had accused Daniel be brought to the lion's den. They, their wives, and their children were thrown into the den. The lions grabbed them before they hit the floor of the den and crushed their bones. You see, often our sins not only affect ourselves, but those closest to us. Their entire families were put to death because of their deceitful actions. So three points about our God that I think is incredible we can take away from this story. Number one, our God can disturb the conscience of unbelievers and believers. He certainly 
disturbed the conscience of King Darius. It says that he went back to his palace and he couldn't eat. He didn't watch Netflix or stare at the Home Shopping Network aimlessly. He simply couldn't sleep. Have you ever had a restless night like that where something you did or something you said is bothering you? You lay there wide awake because you know that you have got to try to correct what you did wrong. Maybe first thing in the morning, but you have no idea on how to go about that. King Darius is having one of those nights. He, he realizes that he's been tricked by his governors to have Daniel put to death. He can't figure out a way to fix it, and it is bugging him. He can't sleep because he's probably visualizing what is happening to his friend Daniel. And Darius knows in his heart that Daniel is a good man that does not deserve to die. But here he is, the one who sentenced him to death by signing that law. You see, God does have the power to convict both believers and unbelievers. And just so you know, what is, what is your conscience, right? It's that small voice you hear in your head. You all know what it is, right? God is using that little small voice in Darius' life to give him an opportunity to believe in God himself, the one and true God. Have you ever felt the Spirit of God speaking to your conscience? I can tell you it can keep you awake at night. Number two, our God has the power to demand the wildest of animals to obey him. Isn't that incredible? Now, I don't know about you, but I, I get this picture. Was God in there with him? Did God have to fight him off? Did he have like a whip and a chair? <laughs> Back, <laughs> right? No, I don't think any of that happened. Now, it says that God provided an angel. Many believe that angel was actually Jesus, that, there, that Jesus was there present with him. But I think he simply gave the command to the lions that Daniel is off limits. And they are not to come near Daniel. Because the scripture says that they didn't so much as breathe on him. There was no, there was no scratches or any harm found on him. And the lions did just as they were commanded. This reminds me of an observation that the disciples made back in Matthew uh, 8, 22. They were out in a boat with Jesus, and suddenly a fierce storm comes up. And I mean, they think they are going under. They're going to sink. And where's Jesus? Asleep. <laughs> and they wake him and go, save us. Can you see what's going on here, right? And what does Jesus do? He speaks to the weather. He speaks to the storm and says, cease. And the storm stops. It becomes completely calm. This is what they said. What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? That's the kind of power our God has. Don't ever under, underestimate how much power God has. I mean, if he can certainly calm the weather, calm the storm, he certainly could have closed the mouths of those lions. Now, God, I believe if he wanted to, he could have simply 
rolled the stone away, right? And allowed Daniel to walk out or to escape. But that's not what he did. Instead, God saw Daniel through the situation. Number three, our God has the power to deliver his people no matter how big of a mess they're in. Maybe you're in a mess this morning. I've had some serious messes in my life. And I'm here to tell you that God has the power to deliver you, to get you out of that mess. Think about it. Sometimes we make the mess all by ourselves. We make stupid decisions. We make wrong choices that come back to haunt us. And other times, we find ourselves in the biggest mess because other people have made it, and we got caught up in it. We were impacted by that, that, that mess. That was certainly the case for Daniel. You know, he did not create that mess that he found himself in because his peers had created that for the purpose of putting, of putting him to a death. The awesome truth that I want you to take away from this is the fact that my God can deliver me. God can deliver you, no matter what situation you find yourself in. And I've also found that when he does that, he does it in one of two ways. <clears throat> First, he can take me out of the mess, or he can remove the mess. He can either remove me from it, or he can remove the mess. Or he can see me through the mess. In my own life, most of the time, it's God walking me through the mess rather than taking me out of it. Sometimes your experience may be different than that. Maybe he just completely removed something from you or from what was going on. But either way, God delivers us. God delivers his people. So there's a lot to take away from here. Here's a few things to think about today as you go on about your, about your day. What is your conduct like at work and at home? Does it match what you say? Do you have skeletons in your closet that need to be dealt with? Are you, do you remain faithful to God in all circumstances? Faithful no matter what. Do you serve him all the time or only when it's convenient? Do you hang in there when it gets hard? <laughs> Who's bigger in your life, God or people? Back when I confronted this issue of people pleasing in my own life, I had a therapist give me a book that was titled, When People Are Big and God Is Small. And you will see throughout scripture that I'm not the only person who struggled with this. All right, too many times we are fearing people and not acknowledging how big God really is, that he is bigger than anything or any circumstance that we can find ourselves in. Do you have trouble sleeping at night because of wrong or foolish decisions? Maybe it's time to make some amends and deal with that so you can clear your conscience. And last, do you need to change your prayers and thank God for walking you through the mess instead of continuing to ask him to remove the mess? 
Let's close in prayer. If you bow your heads together with me. Father, what a lesson we see here from the life of Daniel. And Lord, I, I just pray this morning that we would be found faithful no matter what. No matter what our country or our government may impose on us, help us to always stay strong, remain faithful, and believe that you are the most powerful creator, the most powerful being in the universe. And how much of a privilege and honor it is to be counted as your children. You're our dad. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever is going on in the lives of these men who have heard this message this morning, I pray, Lord, that whatever it is that may be keeping them awake, whatever it is, Lord, that is, that is causing them to be less than what you have called them to be, that we would be willing to face that, deal with it, Lord, and then serve you faithfully for the remainder of our time here on earth. Give us a great day ahead. Help us to look for opportunities to share this incredible story of faith and your power with others. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Men's Bible Study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org, and we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.